Miss Thunder. How's everybody doing today? Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Don introduced me. I'm going to reintroduce myself for everyone that doesn't know me. Uh, my name is Kyle Jones, and I would like to share my testimony with you guys today because I consider this my family. So I just, if anybody I can lighten up today, you just take this this story and just share it with anybody. I'm, I'm an open book. I'm ready to talk to anybody who wants to know. But I'll um, start off, it was around June, June 18th, if we want to be exact. Um, it was the night I was going to see someone I consider a friend. So I learned from my mom growing up that always be careful who you call a friend, but I didn't really understand this meaning until this actually happened. So I went to see this, this girl I considered a friend from school, and um, she was standing on the corner. And uh, I kind of seen her standing on the corner. It was kind of weird. So I stopped in the car. I got out the door to go talk to her. And at this point, when I went to go talk to her, two men came up beside me at the door. Uh, I had the door cracked open. They basically uh, pulled a gun on me and tried to rob me. At this point, I kind of just pulled off. And when I pulled off, I thought I was getting away from the situation. But I felt like something hit the back of my head. And uh, I got shot. So I suffered a gunshot wound to the back of my head. So... After that point, I crashed and totaled the car, and I, it's hard to say, but I thank God for that because who was to say they wouldn't have followed me if I didn't crash that car? And fortunately, a neighbor came outside, called the police, and at this point, I was just, you know, praying, saying, Lord, forgive me. If this is my time to be with you up there, just take me with you. I'm ready. If this is my time, take me with you. So I was, I was uh, just praying, sitting there, talking to the guy, and then the ambulance arrived. So the ambulance arrived. And, and they proceeded to pick me up. Now, just to lighten the mood a little bit, um, I don't share this with everybody, but I'm going to tell you guys, they dropped me. So the first, <laughs> the first time they, they, you know, they want to put me in the ambulance. I get it. And they they kind of dropped me on the ground. I heard somebody whisper, like, oh, he's kind of big. I was like, they didn't, they didn't know I heard that, but I heard it. I heard it. So when they, when they put me in the second time, I was in south side of Richmond, for everybody who's familiar with Richmond. So the, the basically the EMT guys, they asked me and said, have you been to MCV before? And I was like, no, can you take me to Chippenham? Because Chippenham is 10 minutes down the street. I'm like, I'm bleeding out of my body, out of my neck. Just take me down the street. And they were like, did you go to MCV? And I eventually said yes, and I thank God to this day. What I found out is that MCV is one of the top 10 nation neuro brain trauma surgeons in the world. So I thank God for that, uh, just the fact that they did take me to that direction. So... Uh, basically, when I got to the hospital, um, everything was fine. They told my mom they would teach her how to wrap up the wound. Everything was going to be okay. I would go home that same night. Um, other things happened. So at that point, I went to a coma. Um, they took me to a bedside surgery right away, and I was in a coma for about a week. So I, in the coma, I've seen many things. I've heard many things, and it's just it's beautiful. Uh, because actually, when I got out of my coma and I was in my room, my brother Trey told me, uh, he pulled the doctor to the side. And a doctor that I see now to this day calls me Lazarus because, you know, God brought him back from the dead. He, he calls me Lazarus. So he told Trey two things. He said, one, either your brother is going to stay in his coma and he's going to pass away. Or two, he's going to get out of his coma and he's going to be a vegetable the rest of his life. But as you can see, God had a different plan for me. I'm, I'm, I'm up here talking. I can still walk. I can still breathe. I can see. And there's just so many things that the Lord has blessed me with. I know he had a plan for my life because I'm still able to talk to you guys standing up here today. So I just, I thank God each and every day for another chance because that could have been my time. I also want to thank the church members because a lot of prayer 
was everywhere. I know everybody prayed for me. Everybody that knew about my situation, I, I just want to thank you. Because I know the more prayer I had, the more it helped me as well. So when I um, got out of the coma, it was this this lady. I, I met her before, uh, but at the at the at the hospital, I knew and she's smiling at me right now. I see you smiling. Her name is uh, Gigi. She goes by Gigi, but everyone knows her as Janae, I believe. I call her my angel to this day because when I was kind of in and out the coma, kind of waking up slowly, I could just always hear audio Bible, and I think. God took the, he took the sound away from my mouth because I talked so much, so all I could do was listen. So I just, I heard the audio Bible and I just, I just kept hearing it. When I would occasionally wake up, I would see scriptures across the room and I just, I knew it was so much prayer that I could just feel this, this grace in the room. And it's, I've never had this feeling in my life. And most people are afraid of being in the hospital, but it just felt good. It was like I wasn't there alone. Even when she wasn't there, I wasn't there alone. It was it was somebody with me. We all know who that who that was with me, right? So um, so I was uh, in, in intensive care for about a month. Um, one thing I thank God for is that they they usually thought that I would be in the total hospital intensive care everything for about six months. Uh, God had different plans for that as well. I was in intensive care for a month, and I was only in inpatient therapy for a month as well. So I had a complete turnaround in just two months. So you know, I had to I had to learn some things. I had to learn how to talk. I had to learn how to walk. Uh, I couldn't write. I couldn't eat. But the one thing that I had was my cognitive thinking skills. And and for a person to have a brain injury, one of the most beautiful things is that out of every injury or everything that could be taken away from me, it was not my cognitive skills. So I lost everything else, but you can get it back. With prayer, I know God was with me every step of the way. So every time I get a chance to share or talk to a friend, I basically let them know, you know, in this world, humans, we don't appreciate the little things. And sometimes we don't appreciate those little things until they're not there anymore. I, I didn't appreciate my ears till I couldn't hear. I didn't appreciate my eyesight till I couldn't see, really. It, it's, just, it's just so many little things in this world that we sometimes I just thank God that I can just see everyone standing here today. Because it's a possibility that I couldn't. So, always be thankful. Now, the biggest thing I'm thankful for is family, friends family and church, uh, just everybody that had me in prayer, um, because it was kind of hard. Sometimes my pride, it was hard for me to not be able to use the bathroom by myself, not be able to walk by myself without assistance, not be able to, I couldn't even lift my head out of the bed without a nurse picking my head up out the bed or a nurse putting socks on. But at the end of the day, I had God, I had family, I had friends, I had you guys. So at that point, I knew that I wasn't alone, and I didn't feel lonely at all. It was. It's kind of funny. This is a side note, so don't get mad at me, Aaron. Um, a psychiatrist actually used to come into my room, and you know, psychiatrists in the hospital. A lot of the nurses thought at this point I was supposed to be depressed, but it's it's like when he would come to my room, he would say, "Hey, Kyle, how are you?" I'm like, "Look, I'm great. How you doing? I got God." You know, I was more excited than he was. So I promise you now, I've only seen this guy two times out of my whole stay. He was like, "I don't think I need to come back to you, Kyle." <laughs> yeah, thank you, pretty good. So. It was this last thing, and I'll wrap it up for you guys. It was it was this group of doctors that were always coming to my room, and they were always coming there, checking my reflexes, tap me on the knee, check my eyesight, and it was this, it was this guy named John. And John wouldn't really talk to me. He would come beside my bed, shake my hand, and kind of give me like a nod of respect. And I, I, I didn't get it at first, but every time he started to come in my room, once or twice every every two weeks or so. I started feeling more comfortable. And it's like every time he would come in the room, my, my mood would lighten, my spirit would lighten. I would be excited because 
I just was like, it's something about this guy, Lord, that he just made me feel comfortable. And and at that point, I just I just loved it. Every time he came to the room, I was excited. Like, come on, John, what's up? Like, I tried to talk to him. And he was just, you know, very graceful, very pleasing as well. Um, so let's fast forward down the line. I got to the hospital. Thank God I could see again. I could walk again. Everything came back to me. I thank the Lord. I can't stop thanking him every day. Uh, so I went to church. And Gigi and Trey actually invited me to church. And we went to church service, and it was this thing after church at Chris Lee House. We went to house church. And I, I, I've never seen it before. I've always been a religious guy, but house church was just amazing. It was cool. I was like, you have church after church? I didn't know you do that. So it was like we went to house church, church after church. You just got an award for it, right? Um, so and as soon as I entered, I just felt, you know, sometimes you could just, it's just that feeling. It's, 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 that, it's the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's just that feeling. So I, I kind of stepped in the house. And I slowly walk and I look and it's like I just stopped because the person that I saw was John. The same guy that I seen at house church that very first night I went was the same guy that gracefully came into my room ever so often checking on me. And at that point, I knew God had a plan for me. So. So what I'm going to do is uh, welcome John to the stage. So I'm John, by the way, and uh, I don't know how I'm going to follow up that well-spoken, beloved friend of mine, Kyle. We're very good friends today, but my testimony is going to start in a chronological order. I've been always told that when things are confusing, start from the very beginning of time because that's how we think in terms of the timeline. So my testimony starts with visiting Kyle Jones on the neuroscience ICU unit, the very top floor of the VCU hospital. So those of you might be familiar that there's a helipad on top of the VCU hospital. So what do you think it means if you're on the very top floor of that hospital? It means you're in trouble. Uh, it means that you have, you have risk of not being able to breathe. The floor underneath that is the VCU cardiac center for patients who have undergone cardiac arrest. So you can start to see how serious Kyle Jones' situation was. And at that time, I was the, it was summer. A lot of the things is a blur for me. And it was my last year as a student doctor. Um, I was a pre-believer at the time. I was perching on the fence about the resurrection of God and his direct role in our lives. I always kind of knew that he existed, but I always felt like he let the laws of the universe sort of operate on their own. But I knew that he was watching. But I did not believe completely in his resurrection. Um, so this was the time where I was sort of perching. I was interested in theology, uh, but I did not have that emotional relationship with God who, as my father. Um, at that time, I learned that there is a patient male like roughly in his 20s, he had a gunshot wound, status post-emergent craniotomy, neurosurgery. Uh, in layman's turn, term, he was shot to the back of his head, as Kyle described earlier. Uh, it's the part of the brain that is vital to life. It is vital to his breaths. It is vital to him being conscious. It's a crowded area. There's a lot of blood vessels. And if that goes wrong, uh, his life can be whisked away. And so 
by the miracle of God, uh, Kyle was healed. And Kyle was... <laughs> you guys can clap. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Kyle was eventually moved to the brain rehab clinic, which is amazing because that is where patients are given the chance to recover some of their brain function. Uh, and that's where he came directly under our team's care. Uh, but our team went upstairs to greet Kyle on this joyous day. We were very happy. I was studying all, all, everything that was going wrong with Kyle or everything that was going well. Uh, a lot of thoughts reverberated in my head. I've seen... 18-year-olds die of gunshot wound. I've seen, I've witnessed mothers crying over a one-year-old who was shot and died. And I've witnessed her crying. And there's a lot of things that went into my head as I went upstairs. And when I got to the glass you know, panel in which uh, Kyle was located, I ran into Gigi over here, who's sitting all the way in the back. She's always sort of, sort of hiding <laughs> in the back of the church. But uh, this young woman right there, just, she was so animated, full of life, hands going left and right, body language all over the place. She was joyous. And uh, most, most patients that I see her age at the hospital are on their cell phones. They're on their cell phones because of habit and because it's a defense mechanism. And this, this young lady was just so animated, no phone in sight, no defense mechanisms, telling us exactly what has transpired. He has responsive. He is responsive. He has, re- he has responded to us in the past you know, three or four days. ABC, everything is happening. Uh, that, was, uh, that was an impression that I can't forget. It's indelible in my mind. Um, so at this point, um, uh, we didn't actually see Kyle until he went downstairs. And so that sort of uh, he was asleep at the time, and we did not want to wake him up. <laughs> so uh, he was one of the 12 or 13 patients that I took care of in the brain rehab clinic. Uh, just the miracle that he had survived the gunshot wound and then came out of this uh, in this coma for seven days. If you have a coma for seven days, your prognosis is not very good. You know, We're talking about less than 1%, probably less than 0.1% odds here. So, I mean, a lot of doctors, a lot of attendings, you know, came to see him. Neurosurgeons, neurologists, you know, physical therapists, uh, occupational therapists. You have a whole team of experts that just came by to check up on him in this time. And uh, I, one of the things I noticed about Kyle at the time is even though he's very young in age, there was this drive in him. I knew that he was a sprinter. He wanted to walk out of that hospital in like less than a week. When we told him that it was going to take him a month before he can leave, um, he was angry. He was really pissed at that time. And I completely understood because that's exactly how I roll. I do not like to jog. I'm a sprinter as well. Yeah. (laughs) And so the general consensus between the doctors is that Kyle is blessed to be alive. Uh, and a lot was attributed to his young age. Like we were like, oh, you know, it happened because of his young age. A lot of people are not, a lot of physicians are not believers, including myself at the time. Um, 
But we also said the flip side of being young and going through this ordeal is now he has to deal with all these disabilities for the rest of his life. So we were all sad for that reason. Uh, some of the conditions that he had is dysarthria, slurred speech. His brain connections to his tongue uh, was disrupted. Right gaze palsy of his cranial nerve 6. That means his right eye could not fully move to the right side. Um, a lot of the times I had to strain and I had to ask Kyle to repeat himself in order to get to understand like what was bothering him, what was troubling him. Kyle could not walk without the help of his therapists at the time. And I could see that like it was sapping his spirit sometimes and I kind of had to go over and encourage him as best as I could. I always wanted to let him know what was going on despite there could be no changes to the plan. I knew that that's something uh, in this situation. Um, and uh, it was this time where I witnessed Kyle's determination. He was there before any other patients. He was waiting on the therapists, like in the hallway, and he had that look, where are you guys? <laughs> I'm ready to go. I think at this point, uh, that was the end of my rotation, and uh, I said goodbye to Kyle, and uh, I wished him the best of luck. And then uh, many inexplicable things uh, happened afterwards that I'm not going to go into details in the interest of time, but uh, I became a true believer in God uh, through these things. Um, I'm a man of science, and so this was a very, very critical period in my life. I've always run from God. I've always um, had a tough time explaining bad things happening in this world. I had, I had a knack for understanding you know, how people thought, their motivations, and I just didn't know how to reconciliate a lot of these observations. And so, uh, fast forward three months, I received a text from a dear friend of mine in this church, Lucas France, uh, who's not here at the moment. Uh, he, he's in He's in Washington, D.C. Uh, now, but he sent me a text when um, basically uh, I was drained. I had run out of gas, and whatever determination I had was sapped away. And he said, is there something wrong? And I, I called him up, and I was like, why are you getting in touch with me now? He's like, I don't know, but something told me to text you right now. And... Uh, I told him that the church I was going to at the time just could not see me as someone other than the successful you know, MD, PhD student, and I was crumbling on the inside. And I could not bother any of my friends and family at this point because that's the expectation that they had of me. And uh, I told him, is there any church that he could recommend me to at this time? And uh, he gladly told me, why don't you check out Eastern End Fellowship? Yeah. I had an open heart and an open mind at the time. I immediately accepted. I said, I will do anything at this point. And then God showed me a string of miracles that I will not discuss But at this point in the, in the interest of time. But I ended up in Eastern End Fellowship, and I ran into Leslie Moore, who's sitting right there. And this was at the time, it was, there was a Halloween celebration going on at this time in this church. There wasn't service uh, on that day. And I was actually about to just walk out and look for a different church. And I looked across the street, saw Leslie, and I walked up to her. 
little stall, and I was like, oh, this could be the Eastern End Fellowship. Maybe she can explain what's going on. And she did. She's like, welcome. What brings you here to this you know, Eastern End Fellowship? And the Holy Spirit moved me to say, God brought me here. And I've never uttered such things in my life prior to that moment. And at that moment, Leslie looks at me and she says, well, welcome. Like she understood exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And then um, a series of things happened. I was introduced to Chris Lee. I was introduced to the house church as I came the following week or the two weeks afterwards. Uh, went through worship and my mind was open to this house church as Kyle was explaining to me like I'm like what is this house church thing like after church like that seems like that seems pretty excessive but (laughs) but but uh one thing that I do recall being here is this this um the worship group just singing and I was I could not stop crying uh, when that was occurring and I knew that I had to check this house church out uh, I was being moved, and I knew that there was everything in, in, my, in my soul that compelled me to go that night. And I'm very glad that I did. Because um, I didn't actually even recognize Kyle throughout the beginning of this house church. It was basically a blur. Like, I was, I was very, very happy for the fellowship of this, these um, fellow Christians who were open to God and just trying so much harder to, you know, reach out to him and... I was inspired by that, but that night, um, I was thinking that I'm a new Christian, uh, that I finally stopped running from God, um, and when all the house charge was done, I stood up, and I, um, we all stood up to leave, because it was time to leave, and at this point, uh, Gigi, and then uh, this young man right here, sitting right here, they started walking over to me, they approached me. And the steps, and we became closer and closer. And at that point, Gigi asked me if if I'd work for VCU. <laughs> and uh, I then it started to click in my head. Uh, I recognized this young lady from neuroscience intensive care unit at VCU. Um, and then I saw this man, no visible limp, both eyes looking straight into my eyes. And he greeted me with a voice that did not have a hint of slurring. It was clear. It was clear, articulate, and exactly what I expected it to be while I imagined him with the slurred speech. And uh, I felt both joy and fear at what was transpiring that night. Because this was inexplicable. This was the third miracle that happened to me in a very short period of time. I was fear. I was feeling fear because I knew that God is real. I knew at that moment... I knew at that moment that resurrection was real. And I knew at that point that I had to love others through ridicule, even though there's misunderstanding, as Jesus has done for his peers. And uh, 
Yeah. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> and so uh, through my meeting with Kyle, I learned that I must love in a way that is beyond that what I've ever done before. Amen. Y'all have to celebrate the Lord in here today. If there ever was a time to celebrate. But hold on real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. I want y'all to see something though. You see, John was a natural man who was spiritually dying. And Kyle was a man of faith who his life was hanging in the balance. And the Lord restored both of them to life. And that is something to celebrate. That's something to rejoice in. God, we praise you. God, you get glory. God, you get honor. We glorify you, God. Nobody can do this but God. No one can work this way except the Lord, our God. Who could do this? Only God gets glory. And God, we give it to you freely. So I'm going to ask anybody who considers themselves spiritual family for these brothers. Come on up. We're going to lay hands on them and pray pray for them. Come quickly. Yeah, come on in. Yep, come gather. Come gather. It's all good. Yeah, put your hands on them. Father, we thank you for the testimony of these men. God, we thank you that you are still saving. You are still healing. God, you are true to your word. You are exactly who you've said you are. God, these men are standing as a living proof. God, I thank you for what you've done in their lives. God, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. God, I pray for an abundance of natural health for both of them. And Lord, I pray a spiritual abundance of life for them in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that your spirit would stretch itself out in them, God. Cover them from head to toe. God, I pray that they will be walking epistles, walking letters of your goodness, walking testimonies of your power, walking testimonies of your love. God, I pray that when men and women see them, that they would see you. God, I thank you for the call and the purpose that is on each one of their lives. God, I thank you for their obedience and sharing their story. And I'm thankful that they give the glory to you where it belongs. God, they gave the glory to you and God, we give it right to you along with them. We glorify you. We magnify you, God, for your great and wondrous acts. We see what you've done and we declare it is marvelous in our eyes. There is no God that can save like you. There's no one that can heal like you, God. We praise you, God. We praise you. We love you. God, we pray a special blessing and a special anointing on these brothers in the name of Jesus. Clothe them in power. Clothe them in righteousness. Clothe them in holiness. God, surround them with your love. Pour your spirit out on them, God. Fill them to overflowing with the power of your spirit in the name of Jesus. We do glorify you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Let us all say amen. Amen. Come on and celebrate the Lord one more time. Thank y'all. Praise God. Let me let me let me say something else real quick to to provoke us to just provoke us a little bit here. You guys know I've been um, gone on sabbatical, um, but I you know I got the privilege to show up at um, Tuesday night prayer at, at Board and Leslie's, and um, <laughs> Gigi. And these two guys were there. 
Okay, now, now go ahead. Go ahead, feel that. I want you to feel it all the way down. Have you been to Tuesday night prayer? Thank you. I would challenge you to try to go one night just to say to God, after you heard that testimony, I'm going to make a sacrifice and go to prayer. Tuesday night prayer. Now, Pastor Don, why are you, why are you saying that? Because I'm telling you, if we can't be grateful for that, if something like that can't provoke us to go like, wait a minute, wait a minute, I, whatever I can do to demonstrate to God, and you, you may, it may not be Tuesday night prayer for you, but it may be somehow we have to challenge ourselves to press beyond because God has pressed beyond for us. Come on now. Come on, come on, come on. You cannot make this up. This is just like, like, like John, like John said, at some point people, we, I'm talking about us, the family of God. At some point we got to go, ooh, whoa, 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 whoa. And then the beautiful Aaron just brought it out so beautifully. An intellectual whose spirit was dying. God resurrected it. A person of faith who had been struggling and, 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 you know, you know, not all the way in physically dying. God resurrected it. So close your eyes for just for a second. Similar to what Pastor Rob did. Would you just take a moment? Okay, I said the thing about go to prayer. Go to try to go to Tuesday night prayer. Don't 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 panic on that. If that's not what God is telling you to do, don't worry about that. But come on, right now, said to, to you and God do business. Say, God, what should I do in response to this testimony? How can my walk with you go to another level than where I am right now? Father God, I thank you for the people in this place. The privilege that we've had this afternoon. To literally hear from two men that have seen the power of the resurrection. And so now we've seen it. Help us live into it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise. Would you clap your hands for these brothers one more time? Praise God. Praise God. All right. The hour is... Um speeding by Um, but we are going to get into God's word I'm just so grateful for these brothers testimony Um, scripture says that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and there's some overcoming that's going to happen in both of their lives there's some overcoming that's already happened and would we follow the example of these brothers and begin to tell of the goodness of the Lord Tell it to whomever would listen. Let's, that's what Kyle did. Kyle was dying to share this testimony. He, was, he knew what the Lord had done. His eyes were open to the power of God. And he had to tell somebody that. And I, I know that there are so many of us who know what God has done for us, but the burning inside of us, to tell it isn't quite there. And it's my prayer for us tonight that God would open the eyes of our understanding And that God would heighten our awareness to his spirit. I have a question for us. 
Do you believe that something supernatural happens at the proclamation of God's word? Do you believe it? Amen. I'm, everybody, all of y'all that said yes. Okay. Prepare your hearts to receive the word of the Lord. I don't want you, anybody to get caught up in style or in presentation because it might be lacking. It might be weird. It might be awesome. Don't worry about any of that. Pray that your spirit be sensitive to what God is trying to say. Something supernatural happens at the proclamation of the word of God. And the only reason that the words of the Bible have any power at all, the only reason that they have any power is that they correspond with the eternal word of God that existed before the world was framed. So as you hear these words tonight, posture yourself in a place of waiting and listening and being ready to hear. Ask the spirit to give you revelation of what he wants you, uh, wants you to understand. Would we posture ourselves that way today? Pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you stretch yourself out in us? Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see? I admit my own spiritual blindness and my own spiritual deafness. I confess my own hardness of heart. I confess that I've been resistant to your word, that when I've heard your voice, I've said, that's not for me, that's for somebody else. But God, I pray that my heart would be joined with the hearts of everyone in this room of hearing what you would have to say to us. Holy Spirit, speak. Spirit of God, move us. We are your people and we need you. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. All right, uh, we're going to read from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 32. If you are able to rise, would you please do so at the reading of God's word? We're going to read a lot of verses. <clears throat> now, at the same day, two of them, let me give you some background. Jesus has already been resurrected, uh, has already been crucified, but the disciples don't know it yet. So now this is the story of two disciples leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things? He said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And Jesus said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached to the village where they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? This is the word of the Lord. You guys can be seated. Just a little background for this passage. Jesus has just been crucified. All his disciples a week earlier, several days earlier, in fact, had seen him ride into Jerusalem on a donkey, on a colt. And the people were hailing him as son of the God. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And five days later, he's arrested in a garden. Not only is arrested, he's, he's brought before a court and he is sentenced to death. And not only is he sentenced to death, he actually dies. He is crucified. And they see him laid in a tomb and buried. And these disciples that had followed Jesus for his ministry for three years were heartbroken. Everything that they had believed in up until this point, it seemed like everything was lost. So in the passage before this, before this scripture, we see uh, that the women... Uh, had gone to the tomb to dress Jesus, to care for the body. It was part of the culture of that time. And Jesus had appeared to the women. Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene. And she was crying, weeping inconsolably at the tomb. And he said, why are you weeping? And eventually he reveals himself to her and she sees, oh, Jesus is alive. And she tells all her girls, he said, she says, listen, we got to go tell the fellas. Jesus is alive. They go running and tell the fellas, the 11 who's sitting at the table still discussing what had the events that had just gone on. And they say, brothers, listen, Jesus was not in the tomb. Jesus is alive. We saw him. Let me tell you something. Those brothers did not believe the women. The scripture says they dismissed them because they thought it was nonsense. But Peter impetuous person that he is runs up and runs to the tomb to see if everything was what it was what they said it was but he didn't find jesus he did not see jesus there so these two are walking on the road they're leaving jerusalem because where everything went down was in jerusalem the two are walking on the road to jerusalem cleopas and one other we don't know the name some people say it could have been cleopas and a wife it could have been a woman it could have been another disciple we just don't know and the two are intently walking together discussing you imagine the tea you would be spilling amongst your friends if the one you had thought was going to be the messiah was dead now you'd be in deep thought so they're talking and they're talking walking along the way and jesus himself comes up to them and says hey listen say brothers what y'all talking about one thing that's interesting though they don't know that it's jesus the scripture says They were kept from recognizing him. And so I said, why in the world 
would Jesus keep them from recognizing him? Why would Jesus intentionally, why would the spirit of God intentionally do that? Wouldn't Jesus want to be made known amongst his friends? Wouldn't he want to calm their fears? Wouldn't he want to make them feel better? Wouldn't he want to be like, surprise, it's me. That's what I would do. But Jesus, like, withheld them from knowing who he was. And here's what I think. And here's something that I think has resonance for us in here today. Jesus withheld them from being able to recognize him because he was manifesting in the natural what was going on in the spiritual. The people were not seeing with their spiritual eyes. Now, the disciples had walked with Jesus for years, but they had gotten caught up in what they could perceive. And so Jesus withholds himself, withholds them from being able to recognize him because he knows in their hearts, they're focused on the events of the past couple of days and they're not focused on the promises that he made them. So he's, he walks up to them and says, what are you discussing together amongst yourselves? And that's the question. That's the loaded question for today. What are you discussing? What are we discussing? There are a couple of options. Are we discussing what we can perceive? Or are we discussing what we believe? Y'all like that, right? Are we discussing what we can perceive? Or are we discussing what we believe? If we go back to the text, it says... They stood still. They were walking and they stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, how are you going to ask me what's going on? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here in these days? But because of his blindness, Jesus was actually the only one who knew. The only one who really knew. Cleopas was like, where you been, friend? And so Jesus plays with him a little bit, says, what things? Tell me about these. Jesus has mad loaded questions in this passage. What things? And so Cleopas goes about telling him all the facts. He says, we're talking about the things of Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. Powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of the women came and told us that he wasn't there, but we don't know what to make of it. Some of our other friends went to the tomb and didn't see anything. You see the two on the way to Emmaus, their discussion had, had, they had let their discussion slip into what they could perceive with their eyes. Now there's nothing wrong with facts. Jesus, the Lord, the father gives us, our senses to be able to perceive the world around us. He's, uh, that's good. That's a good and great gift. But their conversation transitioned from, I'm imagining from a week earlier, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven, glory in the highest heaven. They were probably one of the ones with the palm leaves, waving them, singing out loud, roll out the royal, bring out the royal diadem, roll out the purple carpet for our king. Here comes our king because they had seen the miracles. They had seen Jesus heal. They had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And here he is making this kingly entrance. And so they're putting two and two together. This must be the king. 
This follows with what I've learned as a young person coming up. And he seems to be demonstrating all sorts of power and wonder. And nobody seems to be able to stop him. People have tried to kill him before and it hasn't worked. So this must be the one that was promised to us. They were accounting for his deeds. They were seeing the natural manifestations of Jesus's power and recalling what the scriptures had foretold about the Messiah. So they put two and two together. It only follows logically that this man must be the promised one of Israel. But when his followers got wind that Jesus was arrested in the garden and not only arrested, but arraigned, they might've looked for Jesus to assert his kingly power, but they heard that he didn't. When he was falsely accused, they heard that he didn't say anything in his own defense. He didn't even perform a miracle in the presence of Herod. Scripture says that Herod was excited to see Jesus. Herod was ready for him to come into his presence. He said, okay, do the thing. Do the thing that you do. And Jesus did nothing. So his disciples were saying, well, surely, you know, in front of Herod, if he's going to release us from the oppression of Roman rule, surely he would have manifested his power in front of Herod. But he did nothing. They falsely accused him and he stayed silent. He got whipped all night long and he didn't buck back. Not only that, they saw him carrying his cross up Calvary's hill. They saw the, they saw the nails driven into his hands and into his feet. And they said, surely now. Surely now he'll show his power. Surely now he'll show his greatness, but nothing They saw a man who was stripped naked, an object of uh, humiliation, an object to be rejected, an object despised, just like a common criminal hanging there. How could this be our king? I'm sure their conversation, how could this be the one that we've given our lives to? How could this be? So mouths that were once filled with hope and expectation, singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, had now become mouths filled with hopelessness. And they were conveying the message of what could be seen with their eyes. The most logical explanation is that Jesus wasn't who we thought he was. That Jesus wasn't who he said he was. He might be saying, Aaron, you're reaching. How do you know that? I'm glad you asked. In verse 19, when Jesus says what things, Cleopas says about Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet. Let's stop right there. They were just calling him the son of the living God a moment ago. But a prophet is what they could prove. That could be corroborated with outside evidence. Nobody would be able to refute that he was a prophet, that he was a good teacher. So they said, oh, yeah, you know, he was a prophet, powerful in word or deed. Their testimony changed. Their testimony changed based on what they could see. But I know elsewhere in scripture, Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. Blessed are those whose hearts are so sensitive to the spirit of God that they can sense the witness of the spirit. And I see some of these men in my in my own life. I say, Lord, I've given my entire life for you. I lay down my life for this work. I lay down my life for your kingdom. Why haven't you done what I've, what I've asked you to do? Why haven't you summoned your power and shown your strength? Maybe this thing isn't real. Did Jesus actually resurrect? Resurrect. 
Is Jesus actually in a body enthroned in glory and power? Or is this an old wives tale? Or is this just a good way to think, a good way to believe? Is this just a good uh, way for me to model my life? I've thought those on thoughts. What if prayer don't work? Maybe the power of positive thinking is just all I really need for myself. I've allowed what I see to deaden my sensitivity to the spirit of God. I've allowed what I see to de- to deaden the witness of the spirit in my heart. Lord, forgive me for becoming like those who demand a sign. There's a portion of scripture in the Bible where I just love this. The Pharisees are like, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. You say you're the son of God or you, you, you're doing all this stuff. Show us a sign so that we know you are who you say you are. And it says in scripture that Jesus sighed very deeply within himself and said, no, <laughs> you're not getting one. Absolutely not. Cause I'm here doing all this stuff and you still won't believe. I was watching the um, Beyonce documentary. Okay. Y'all making more notes for Beyonce then. I was watching Homecoming and Beyonce had a similar sentiment where uh, she was, uh, I think somebody had asked her, oh, Beyonce, give us your notes for this choreography or for this interchange. And she said, listen, I'm not giving you no more notes because the notes I done gave you, you ain't listening to no way. So until I see you put my previous notes into effect, you're not getting no more new notes from me. Jesus was on that level. I don't want Jesus to be on that level with us. I don't want us to become like those that demand a sign because we are dead to the will of the father. We're so out of step with the spirit that we cannot sense the spirits moving, the spirits prodding, the spirits leadership. We can't sense the kingship of our Lord. In verse 20, uh, Cleopas goes on to say the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we, we had hoped That he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Whenever you put had in front of a verb like that, you just know it's going to be some insecure sounding. So like, let's just say, um, you know, when you're a kid and your mom says, um, take the chicken out the freezer before I get home from work so it could be defrosted by the time I get home. And then when she um, come home, you hear the car roll up the driveway and you're like, oh, shoot, let me just um, let me put it out on the counter right now. And she was like, why you ain't put the meat on the counter? This is rock solid. I asked you this 12 hours ago. And you'd be like, well, what happened was, well, we had, um, well, I had tried to do it earlier. So they were like, well, yeah, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. These folks were in despair. And I don't blame them. I'd be in the same place. The one that they had looked to to save them, to rescue them, was dead. They were, dis- they were discussing what they could see with their eyes. And there's nothing wrong. I don't want you guys to misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with lament. There's nothing wrong in your intimate conversations. Talking about how you wish and pray things would be better. Wish and pray things would be different by naming the brokenness. There's nothing wrong with that. But when lament displaces your hope, when lament displaces your faith, That becomes despair. And despair obscures our vision. Despair keeps us from seeing. Even when it's right in front of our faces. And Jesus knew that those men were blind. Spiritually because they were filled with a heart of despair. 
They were despairing over Jesus, the one that they had hoped would redeem Israel. Some of us have some unmet expectations, some things we had hoped for when we were younger, some things that we are hoping for now, but we are not seeing And we're entering into the place of despair. And when we're in the place of despair, we can become blind and deaf so that we don't. Just like when the women came and told the brothers, Jesus is actually alive. I saw him. They couldn't even believe it because they were so focused on what they could perceive with their eyes. It's my prayer for us that the spirit would remove the scales from our eyes, that the things that are obscuring our vision of the Christ would be removed. And I know that none of us in here have the power to remove them. Just like those brothers on the way to Emmaus, their vision wasn't restored until Jesus allowed it to be restored. So I talked about, are you discussing what you are perceiving or are you discussing what you, what you're believing? And let me give y'all some good news. Jesus helps change our discussion. He helps us change what we're talking about. Jesus says to them, he said to them, how foolish you are. Mild rebuke for Jesus. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer those things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Probably the longest Bible study ever. They said that that trip to Emmaus was seven miles long. I'm pretty sure Jesus was talking the entire way. Explaining what the scripture said about him. But see, Jesus knew their blindness and he knew what it would take to change it. He knew what it would take to change their hearts. And he opened the scriptures to them. That's why I ask you, do you believe that there's something supernatural happens at the proclamation of the word of God? Something supernatural happens in our hearts, in our understandings, if we would allow it. So Jesus started with the Pentateuch and went all the way through the prophets, all the scriptures that they had access to. Jesus probably started in the book of Genesis And let them know that he was with the father when he spoke the world into existence. Being that he is the very word of God. I'm sure he told them that he was with the father when man and women were created. When God said, let us make man in our image. And then Jesus probably continued on to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve fall in the garden. And things are changed forever. And he said, I'm the offspring, I'm the seed of the woman that will crush the accuser, that will crush the tempter. My heel is going to be on his head. That's me that the scripture was talking about. That's the Messiah that the scripture was talking about. And I'm sure he went on to Exodus and said, I'm the Passover lamb whose blood was shed and the spirit of God passed over so that the people of Israel were safe from destruction I'm also, and he went to Numbers chapter 21. There were no chapters now, but just follow me. Numbers chapter 21. And when the Israelites were afflicted with serpents biting them and they were dying, Moses lifted up a bronze serpent and said, anyone who looks at the bronze serpent will live. The Israelites lifted up their eyes to the bronze serpent and were uh, healed and were saved. Jesus said, yeah, that's talking about the Messiah as well. That's me, fam. When I was lifted up, anyone that would look to me will be saved. 
And the greatest of your king, King David, he points directly to me. I'm the giant slayer. I'm the promised one from the, from the line of David. And I'm the one born of a virgin described in Isaiah. I'm the one who was esteemed stricken, a man of sorrows. I'm the one who took the chastisement of your peace upon me. And it was the will of the Lord to crush me for you. I was the one that was murdered by an unjust government. And I am the initiator of the new covenant. And in verse chapter 32, the men say to each other, were not our hearts burning within us? As he uncovered the scriptures, as he spoke with authority that's unmet, unmatched. And that's my prayer in here for us today. That we will be sensitive to the word of God. To the proclaimed word of God, to the word that God is speaking to us, over us, and in us each and every day. And that our hearts would be burning within us. And that we would have the reaction of those two folks on the road. Because as they were walking and their hearts were on fire within them, they invited Jesus in. Jesus pretended like he was going to go on fire. They played a little coy. And they said, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. Come in with us. It's getting late. They were responding to Jesus's invitation. They were responding to Jesus's revelation of himself. They were responding to it. Would you respond today? If you are feeling the Lord speaking to your heart, whispering in your ear, stirring your soul, would you respond to the spirit of God and invite Jesus to stay? And what did Jesus do to that invitation? He accepted. He said, absolutely, no problem. He put up a seat. They sat at the table. He said, I'm going to do what y'all know I love to do. He took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And boom, they knew it was Jesus. And it was that moment that Jesus's mercy was made full and complete for them. He knew exactly what it would take for them to understand his greatness, to understand his power. He knew exactly what it would take for to shift their understanding, to shift their seeing, to shift their discussion. Because when they went back to Jerusalem, so listen, their understanding was enlightened. They were like, oh shoot, that thing is, this Jesus, yes. And then Jesus, poof, disappeared. Jesus be disappearing and disappearing after the resurrection. He like, listen, I'm in my glorified body now. I got new tricks. And he's living into all of that, living into all of his glory. But the men get up and run back to Jerusalem. They go to Jerusalem, Jerusalem immediately. And their conversation is shifted from, yo, what terrible thing has happened? To let me tell you what just happened. The Savior was here. The Messiah was here. The Lord, he's here. He's alive. He's with us. The woman was right after all. My prayer for us today, and I'm going to invite the worship team back up. If you sense that there's a deadening of your awareness of God or perception of the spiritual, you're in the right place. I believe that Jesus wants to wake us up. Jesus wants to remove the scales from our eyes so that we will not trust what we see, but we will trust the word of the living God. That we will trust the promise of God that he will not leave us, that he will not forsake us, that he's with us to the end of of the age. And I pray that whatever promises 
that have been spoken to you, spoken over you in your life. And it seems like they're not materializing. Things aren't happening the way you thought they would happen. That you would loosen your fixation on the things that you can see. I know that's hard. But I pray that you would allow the spirit to do its work in opening your understanding. That's what the Lord wants to do. He wants to show us the will of the father so that we can be in relationship with the father. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we could be one with him. And so that through him, we can be one with the father so that we could really and truly know the father. That's what God wants for us today. I know it's hard for us to not trust what we see. We're taught that in school. We're supposed to trust what's logical, what's rational. But logic and reason are idols. And we have to know that. Faith supersedes all of those. It does. And that's extremely countercultural. And if you want to email me about it, that's fine. Faith supersedes anything that you could understand. Anything that you could know. Anything that you can comprehend. And there's some of us in this room that are struggling in our faith because things don't make sense. Things aren't aligning with how we feel like the world should go. But I just pray that you would let go of the need. That you would release yourself from the need to understand. And see the safety and security that comes in faith in Jesus Christ. Knowing that in due time, Jesus will reveal everything you need to know. Jesus doesn't want to withhold things from you. He wants you to experience him. But would we let go of the lesser thing in order to fully embrace the greater thing? Trust the Holy Spirit. Trust the same Holy Spirit is at work in you as it was when it was first clear to you that Jesus Christ is the Holy One of God. If you ever came to a moment of knowing that Jesus is Lord, that was the Spirit's work in you. You didn't come to that knowledge of your own strength and your own power. Just like when Jesus was talking to Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. But only God has. There's a knowing that only the spirit can give you. Would we release the knowing that comes from this world? And embrace the spirit of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. Please don't misunderstand. God gives us our minds to work beautifully. That's a gift from God. But like our friend Tim Keller says, idolatry happens when we make a good thing a great thing. Those of us that have come to saving faith in Jesus, we've had a moment where the scales fell off of our eyes and we could see Jesus as he is. The son of the living God, master, savior, king. The curtain was drawn back. Our eyes were focused more clearly. The spirit heightened our awareness. And our deposit of faith grew. I pray that the spirit would do a work afresh in each one of us. I pray that we would clearly discern afresh that Jesus is the one to follow. That Jesus is the one to pledge our faithfulness to. That Jesus is the one to obey. So I'm going to ask the prayer team if you guys would uh, go to your stations along the wall. We have folks here that are willing and ready to pray with and for you. If you're in here and you're feeling spiritually dead or spiritually blind, I'll say, and you feel like you don't have enough faith to allow the spirit to do the work in you on your own, would you pray with one of these folks? 
And if you're here today and you have never made a decision to follow Jesus, today is a good day to try him. Jesus invites you to his family. He invites you to come and dine at the master's table with him. He invites you into a life free of guilt, free of shame. Jesus accepts you exactly as you are. There's no need to clean up before you come to him. He wants you exactly as you are right now. So if that's you, would you come to any one of these people and just say, I want to know more about being saved. I want to know more about following Jesus. And they'll guide you in the way to go. Would you all pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your love. Wake us up, Lord. We can't wake ourselves up. We can't jolt ourselves awake. We need your spirit. We need your power. Soften our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would not resist you any longer if we've been resisting you. And God, I thank you for the witness of those who know, who know exactly who you are, who know that you're a healer, that you're a provider, and that even when things seem dark, they believe and trust in you anyway. I thank you for the witness of those in this room right now. Lord, I pray that you would increase all of our faith. Increase our faith so that we would know you better. So that we would know you more and more and more. And that it would be true of us that each day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Lord, some of us are tired and weary, heavy laden. But you say, come to me all who are weary. and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. We love you, Lord. In Christ's name. Amen. sing a song um, that was written by our songwriting interns last summer, but um, it's a setting of Psalm 139, but it's asking, Lord, um, I can't see a thing in the dark. All I have is your word. And um, really asking the Lord in the spirit, let me see the things that I can't perceive in the natural, right? So I'm going to sing this together. Lord, I know that you knitted me in my mother's womb. And you say that the darkest night is like light to you. But I can't see a thing in the dark. All that I have is your word. If you lead me, I'll take the steps in the night. When I can't see, I trust you are right by my side. Lord, you see my uncertainty that I can't deny. But you take all my doubt and show me the way of life. But I can't see a thing in the dark. All that I have is your word. If you leave.
Trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see I will trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see I will trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see, I will trust in the plan that you have for me. Will you even when I can't do, even when I can't see, I will trust in the plan that you have for me. Will you when I can't do, even when I can't see, I will trust in the plan that you have for me. Will you when I can't do? Even when I can't see, I trust in the plan that you have for me. Even when I can't see, even when I can't see, I trust in the plan that you have for me. But I can't see a thing in the dark. All that I have is your word. If you Trust you are right by my side. If you lead me, I'll take the steps in the night. When I can't see, I trust you are right by my side. Sing oh, oh. Trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see I will trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see I will trust in the plan that you have for me Even when I can't feel Even when I can't see, I will trust in the plan that you have for me. Although our our sight is obstructed often now, one day we will see clearly and fully. And not only us, but the whole world will see Jesus for who he is. 
we'll bow down before him and we'll sing his praises. Let's stand and join our voices. If you haven't yet, go ahead and get your kids. Let us come on one accord to lift our praises to our King. There is splendor and power all around Him. And we will gather all together, every nation, tribe, creed, and color. Put our differences aside and let our Father be glorified. And the earth shall know His name. And the earth will sing His praise. And all of the earth shall sing. The praise of our God, of our God, of our God. Though our appearance is changed, we are all the same. Saved in Jesus' name, we've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. For by Him we were created in His image, in His name. And through His grace we are called to change communities together, uniting people, meeting needs, giving honor to our King. And the earth we're gonna know shall know His name. And the earth we'll sing His praise. All of the earth shall sing the praise of our God. Is free. This is our prayer, Lord. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. This is our prayer, Lord. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. This is our prayer, Lord. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free. This is our prayer, Lord. Heal the land, meet the need, set the captives free.